action through a social justice lens. In this in-depth 15-part series, we'll explore the history of public education and expose the current corporate-driven education agenda with its negative impacts on students and schools, especially in the most oppressed communities. We'll also explore the most promising visions and movements in public education. So join us for the battle for public education in the 21st century on Flashpoints every Wednesday through June at 5 p.m. Don't miss it. Thank you. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover, Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who walk In light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is March 31st, 2015, and that makes tomorrow April Fool's Day. Oh, golly, if only, if only the fools would just stick to one day a year. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Never mind. Anyway. It's the first of the month tomorrow. That means I must pay my bills. Oh, oh, I wanted to cancel cable TV. So many people tell me that it's not good for my mind, but I don't think I've got any mind left at 81. I can't bear to miss all the good stuff on uh, <clears throat> cable television. Uh, it is a new age, folks. I I can't bear to think of missing Queen Latifah as Bessie Smith. You may think that's sacrilege, but I can't wait. Anyway, this weekend I spent uh, hours and hours watching The White Queen. Uh, I've seen it once, but I kind of felt that uh, I should take a look at this series. Uh, It ends with the death of Richard III. Now, I mean, I thought I should see it again to be sure, just to be sure, you know, that it was as good as I thought it was. Uh, First time I saw it, I was, I have to say, moved. Uh, We know that Richard III's British bones have been reburied now. They they found his remains, I think it was under a... uh, a parking lot or something, they dug it up, uh, <clears throat> checked the DNA. Uh, now, the famous play by William Shakespeare, 
or Edward Devere. I'm on the Edward Devere uh, <laughs> side, but more about that another day. Anyway, Shakespeare's play uh, turned Richard into a mega monster. And that's the way he has been seen since forever, ever. Um, 15th century, right. Anyway, the White Queen is a uh, revisionist version of Richard's story. Obviously, the uh, scholars and historians have been busy uh, straightening it up. I thought that it was very sympathetic, actually. Uh, I don't want to call him a matinee idol, but I, I did find myself tearing up. Um, Richard tried to do the right thing. He even got some progressive legislation through during the just a few years that he had to rule. I don't remember, maybe two years, two and a half. Anyway, he made a stab at it, but uh, I guess we'll never know the whole story. But check it out. I just think it's wonderful uh, that people care enough about the past and about their their history, their tradition to uh, dig up the facts. Of course, maybe it doesn't matter a damn. Maybe it just doesn't. You know, blow it away. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, villains in the past uh, do have an effect on us. I would like to hear something nice, you know, about Napoleon. <laughs> They're always telling us that these great um, historical figures have a, a nice side. I don't know. Uh, uh, if Richard's villainy is a fiction that argues well, for the present royals, I tried to watch a television show called The Royals about the contemporary family. And I I stood about ten minutes of it and then I decided that it wasn't just trash. It was, you know, pablum. Anyway, I thought that the White Queen did a beautiful job of showing us Richard's love uh for his wife, number one, his wife, um, and then uh, his little son. Both of these people died, and uh, uh, we see Richard grieving. At the end of The White Queen, he is in love with uh, Elizabeth. It's the night before the great battle, you know, and uh, he's in love with the woman that Henry Tudor is going to marry after Richard is killed in battle. Now, that is a real switch. Uh, I wish I didn't find this stuff so fascinating. I should probably pay more attention to the Middle East, but never mind that. Uh, last week, I was talking about uh, <laughs> feminism. Yes, feminism. I don't even use the word anymore. And a friend of mine said to me, she said, uh, uh, a woman, yes, a woman said, uh, she said, you know, it's really true that uh, women have no sense of humor. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean women have no sense of humor? And she said, no, they, they, they don't. They, they take this whole thing much too seriously. And, uh, <laughs> and most of them don't really believe it anyway. Now, that is kind of a weird, uh, weird way of looking at the thing, uh, I do know that 
many, many women, I, I don't know how to say it, uh, they, they disguise their broken hearts with, uh, oh gosh, you know, let's just say they have a chip on their shoulder and, uh, they don't want to admit that they have been hurt, humiliated, <laughs> and ignored. So they do, uh, tend to get a little bit grim. Most of them, though, are much wiser than that. Sojourner Truth is one of the funniest. I love her particularly because she's died when she was my age, exactly. Forty years as a slave and forty years as a free woman. Uh, never learned to read, but she just kind of, uh, kind of had the, what is it, the oral, the oral genius and uh, I wish we had, well, a few more today. I'm sure they're, they're out there. I just haven't quite identified them. It's getting very hard because the mass media throws so many people at us and such brilliant ones that it's hard to sort out, you know, wait for the, wait for the really serious ones to surface. Uh, you know, you have to wait 50 years and then look back. Anyway. I was going through my uh, my favorite stuff here on KPFA, and I found something. The first time somebody said to me that feminists have no sense of humor, I dug out this. Yes, I was writing for the little newspaper, Grassroots, here. Yes, I had a column at one time called Bitch is Beautiful, and uh, <laughs> I... I remember trying, trying to wrestle with this idea that feminists have no sense of humor. And for grassroots, I wrote a column that says, What the left needs is a few laughs. I hear that everywhere. The feminist left isn't laughing. On the other hand, it is a source of humor throughout history. Woman's fight for freedom has provided the world with many of its lighter moments. Read Aristophanes. Back in the 19th century, one of the larger laughs was Amelia Jenks Bloomer. Born 1818, died 1894. Now, Amelia Bloomer wrote and published a uh, the first U.S. newspaper founded by and addressed to women. It was called Lily, L-I-L-Y, Lily, uh, 1848. Let's see, she must have been 30 when she got that together. Uh, the joke, of course, was Amelia's Bloomers. They called them Bloomers because that was her name. Uh, and they called the... Uh, pants, I guess they were pants. Uh, bloomer girls, they called these women. They followed her example and they wore what I guess is a pantaloon. It allowed them to do scandalous, shocking things like ride bicycles. In fact, in reality, Amelia was no joke. She was stuffy, rather sensible, she writes a letter to a friend. Uh, the date is June 1857. 1857. She writes, quote, 
The costume of woman should be suited to her wants and necessities. It should conduce at once to her health, comfort, and usefulness. And while it should not fail also to conduce to her personal adornment, it should make that end of secondary importance. As you see, this was not a woman adept at comic turns of phrase. But do you know how easy it is to amuse men? They'll, they'll laugh at anything in pants. In the 20th century, we have learned that laughter does not always indicate a sense of humor. Humor is that deep sense of the absurd which leads at last to the will, the well, the well of tragic irony. Laughter can be many things. It can express contempt and derision. It is often used to belittle those folks that, uh, <laughs> you know, that want to gain power. I think, yes, empowerment, that awful word. Women themselves uh, can be afraid of humor. Juna Barnes, the great writer Juna Barnes, wrote in her novel Nightwood, quote, Any woman with a sense of humor is a lost woman. I think of all those beautiful kittens, you know, the Marilyn Monroes and even the Jackie Kennedys. They never raise their voice. They kind of hum, you know. And, of course, they're dead serious. Uh, <clears throat> they never poke fun. Anyway, Sigmund Freud defined humor as rebellion. Freud writes, It signifies the triumph not only of the ego, but also of the pleasure principle, which is strong enough to assert itself in the face of adverse real circumstance. Humor is courage. Courage to face adverse real circumstances. Oh, like the defeat of the Equal Rights Amendment. How's that? <laughs> for, for a problem. You remember Patricia Arquette at the Oscars this year. Uh, she mentioned the Equal Rights Amendment. And so many people uh, just kind of look blank, you know. I don't think they were aware that the Equal Rights Amendment never did uh, pass. Eight, see, 1984 was the last we saw of it. <laughs> you know, some of the states reneged, needs two-thirds of the states. And so it kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, Going to have to get busy and try again, try to get two-thirds of the states to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. I think I read it the other day here. Uh, it reads simply, quote, Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That's all. But obviously, it's not funny. As Cato the Elder observed back in 
195 B.C. Uh, we call that B.C.E. now, before the Common Era. I'm quoting here Cato, dear old Cato the Elder. Suffer women once to arrive at an equality with you, and they will, from that moment, become your superiors. Sharp old dude. The subordination of women and the control of sexual needs is the first duty of any authoritarian state. Laughter is one of the tools used to keep women in their place. Women laughed when Flo Kennedy said, A woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. She also said, If men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. The men did not laugh. Some of them put together punitive legislation. They called it the Family Protection Act. Also the Human Life Amendment. Woman hatred or plain old misogyny has become more subtle. Feminists and in particular lesbian feminists became the subject of derisive laughter. Men took care to assure real women that they were still in the club. It's the old divide and conquer trick. Once it was the whores who were other, you know, that separated the ladies from the whores. Uh, Yes, the male identified women, the ladies stand by their men. Which is all very well, but uh, some of us are waiting for the men to stand by us. Back in the day, I remember my favorite Exhibit A was Nancy Reagan. Someone said, it takes a gentleman to make a lady, but a bitch makes it on her own. Nancy Reagan should, by rights, provide uh, the public with a source of laughter. What's depressing is that the masses seem to be taken in by her. Um, Someone said, yes, the rich are always with her. (laughs) Anyway, she fixed up the White House. It looks like Elizabeth Arden's. No one seemed to notice that it was vulgar. Uh, Nancy behaved like a socialite. She was not a statesperson. Aha, uh-huh. she and Ronnie looked to me like aged Ken and Barbie dolls. Nancy says, Reagan never worries. He sleeps like a baby. He calls her mommy and he basked in what journalists called the gaze. Do you remember that glazed look that she turned on him in public? She provides the essential source, the uh, service it is. It's a service. It's a professional wife, yes. She's a flak catcher. Now, he's the one with the bomb. She's the one who tells him what to do with it. 
I think of her as an iron mannequin. She was always cold, turning the heat up to 85, 87 degrees, according to some reports. Uh, Nancy represented the total woman. Totaled, I think. We could call it totaled. The flip side of the male jock. You remember when ladies made a comeback. They're always making a comeback (laughs) these days. These days, they're coming back uh, as, what would you call that? Uh, Pornographic entrepreneurs, whether they're in it or selling it. Anyway, men can dismiss uh, women as airheads. They can detest women for interfering. Uh, I remember... Mm. I remember Nancy and uh, Ronnie making a perfect team. I saw them as Mr. and Mrs. America grown old. Hmm. Gone well, Ronnie. (laughs) I don't think we're supposed to make fun of old age these days, but uh, it seems to me that he, he was a little cloudy there even before. He became uh, disabled. I thought of them uh, as a film noir, kind of a couple on a crumbling wedding cake, gone stale. You know, dinosaurs in human drag. Now, do you think any of that was funny? I'm afraid not. Not funny at all. When I think of the women and men who, what is it, whose lives were destroyed. I dated from 1980. It certainly, certainly broke my life in half. Remember, remember what Dorothy Parker told us. She said, I heard someone say, and so I said it too that ridicule is the most effective weapon. Well, now I know. I know that there are things that never have been funny and never will be. And I know that ridicule may be a shield, but it is not a weapon. So what kind of weapon is needed to moral outrage? (laughs) The late poet Denise Levertov said that there comes a time when only anger is love. Samantha Powers I saw the other night. She's angry. Never mind. What do women do with their anger? Once upon a time, they held meetings to discuss these things. Last time I went to such a meeting, you know, consciousness-raising meeting, I said to a young woman who was weeping, she, she asked us what we thought she should do with her anger. <laughs> this is very funny because it was written before 9-11. Yes, the woman asked me what she should do with her fury, her anger. And I thought I was being funny. (laughs) I said to her, have you looked into international terrorism? 
I was trying to be facetious, actually. She finally admitted she just wanted to meet men who were different. I gave her a copy of The Bitch Manifesto, written by Joreen in 1970. Essential to being a bitch is not only having an irrepressible sense of humor, it is the quality of being always a subject, never an object. Doreen writes in the Bitch Manifesto that bitches, quote, may have a relationship with a person or organization, but they never marry anyone or anything, a man, a mansion, or a movement. Like the N-word, see, we, we could say that word back in the day when I wrote this, but anyway, uh, like the N-word, bitch serves the social function of isolating and discrediting a class of people who do not conform to the socially accepted patterns of behavior. To the extent to which they, that is men, relate to her, the bitch, relate to her as a human being, they refuse to relate to her as a sexual being. Thus, she is not a true woman. Our society made women into slaves. Then they condemned them for acting like slaves. Those who refuse to act like slaves, they disparage, yes, uh, for not being true women. <laughs> Old friend of mine the other day said, and we're talking about history, and he said, well, was you a good slave or a bad slave? <laughs> anyway, bitches are the women who know what hit them. At least, that's what I think. Bitches are the wo women who are in on the joke. Once a woman figures out what is really going on, she can never go home again. As Thomas Jefferson said, when love is tyranny, revolution is order. I have just a little bit of time left, and I wanted to read another essay uh, called These Are the Hollow Men <laughs> about some uh, guys who encountered the works of Oscar Wilde and had a little trouble, didn't understand plays like Lady Windermere's fan. Anyway, I'll have to save that for another day, and I'll take my few minutes to read a uh, passage written in the late 90s, jumping from the 80s to the 90s. This came out in uh, <clears throat> the Appeal to Reason, little San Francisco newspaper. It's called, Neither the Honey Nor the Bee, Sappho Knew a Thing or Two. She knew honey can be poison, and the killer bee is headed north. Cover your ass, citizens. Civilization is winding down. Oh, 
Swing, said Sappho, but watch your head, baby. Ceilings are lower these days. <laughs> anyway, this ends going down the stone road to when we are no more. To the day when the earth is clear of art and books and mozzarella and movies and blue eyes and blood feuds. Sex is to love as words are to thought. In the grave, no honey pot. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Be back on the air at the same time next week. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Dearest John, I long to hear that the Continental Congress has declared independence from the tyranny of King George. Forever yours, Abigail. Postscript. I have been made aware of the KPSA Apprenticeship Program, a chance to learn skills in media and broadcast journalism, and gain access to radio as a means to tell one's story and foster social change in one's own community. The application is due April 3rd, and you can download an application online at kpfaapprentice.org. Or you can call 510-848-6767, extension 235. I do sincerely hope you apply, John, for I am convinced there is no future for you in the political arena. Again with love, Abigail. And you're listening to